1: Hello everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Welcome to another episode of Anne Security for All. As I continue to say every week, um, many of you may not know, but um, not only am I the host of this show, I run a company called FutureCon Events, and we put cybersecurity conferences on all over North America. We are making our way through the Midwest over the next four weeks. We're heading out to Des Moines, Iowa next week and then Columbus, Ohio and then over to Indianapolis. So for all my Midwest people out there, we'd love to see you join. Um I have to say thank goodness it is Friday. We have a lot to talk about today and I have another great guest. I actually met my guest last week. Um he was an attendee at our Charlotte cybersecurity conference which was packed. It was standing room only. Um 2023 has been really crazy, and we have consistently have had standing room only um, events. We came off of 2022 where people were still leery to go back to events, and now we can barely um, fit everyone into the venues, which I guess some people could say is a good problem to have, but... Um, sometimes it causes a little bit of logistical nightmare. So thank you everyone for supporting our events. All of our events we run in a hybrid mode. So if you happen to be in a state that we are not Um, passing through. You can always catch any of our events through our virtual link. They always stream live the day of the event, and we leave that up for about a week for everyone to catch any of our speakers on demand. You know, our events, if you've been thinking about going to a future kind of event, you should come to one because they have been great. There's great content. Um, You get to network with the local cyber Cybersecurity practitioners in your community, and it's fun, and um, we would love to see you out there. I do have to say that you know, I love going to Las Vegas maybe once a year. Thank heavens that was not out there this week. Um, I actually had a few family members that were out there, but luckily they weren't affected by all the craziness out there. As many of you know, some of the major hotels, you know, the MGM, the Bellagio, Caesars Palace, the REI, um, and many, many more were hit with a major cyber attack. And it's so ironic that it would happen a month after the world's large, one of the world's largest conferences was out there, Black Hat. and Death, which focuses on ha- hackers. We're going to talk about a lot today. There's so much going on in the news. You know, I just was watching something this morning about our power grids and just just everything that's going on. And I have the perfect guest today to talk about all of this. Um, today, I want to talk about recent attacks and you know, just the stresses of the CISO, we're going to try to break down um, how to understand attackers, the psychology of what is used against your users and how you can use it well, understanding why behind the way things are before offering corrections, and how to just um, understand the business and be successful. Today, my uh, guest is Scott Dickinson. He's a CISO at and Med Health out of Charlotte. Um, he's passionate about he's passionate about information technology and security. And for over 20 years, he's been in the field uh, on both security and information technology. He's worked for the federal and state government, including FBI, DOD, Veteran Affairs, State of South Carolina private sector. He's been a CIO, a CISO, a virtual CISO, a cybersecurity division director, and all kinds of things. So he is the perfect guest to talk about everything happening in our country right now and overseas. So welcome to the show, Scott.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, how is everything now? When I was in Charlotte last week, it was a sweltering 100 and something degrees. How's your weather in Charlotte this week? Uh, well, it's
2: actually good. You know, I'm actually down here in South Carolina. I drove up to Charlotte. Um, I, I like to go to a lot of conferences there. Um, but we were doing good here, you know, dodging the occasional rain shower and thunderstorm. So it's yeah, good.
1: yeah. I think I got out of there right before you guys were hitting, hitting some bad weather, but yeah. Never get. I never get enough time. Like I would love to spend more time in Charlotte. It's such a beautiful city. But we do with so many cities. I'm in and out, and love them. Um, everyone was so great.
2: The yeah. Southern
1: hospitality down in Charlotte. It was yeah. great. Yeah, so. I, I love.
2: I have a nephew that loves to catch. Uh, you know, some basketball there at the the stadium. Um, and occasionally we'll get a, a, tickets to the Carolina Panthers football game. Go up there and hang out. So it's some good sporting events too, if you're into that. So.
1: Well, that's awesome. Well, let's, you know, we have a lot to um, dive into today, but I'd love to just hear a little bit about your background and how you got, I mean, you came from, you know, the FBI, DOD, all that. Can you tell us a little bit about how you, your career path and how you ended up where you are today and the transition of coming over from like the DOD and FBI and how you're now on the private sector?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny because when I was growing up, I loved computers. I, I read everything I could do, get on them. Um, I read as many books as I could, did as much programming. People used to come to me. Um, and then I went to college. I had a bad instructor, and I kind of got out of IT for a while. Um, got into painting airplanes for the government, actually. I painted a bunch of aer- airplanes and helicopters. And uh, I came home one day, and my wife's like, well, you know, what would you love to do for your job if you can do it, you know? I said, well, I'd love to get back in computers. And she said, well, why don't you? And I said, well, you know, it'd be a 50% pay cut. I got to start all over again. I've been out 10 years. We got two little ones. And she said, well, just go ahead. We'll manage, you know. And that was just a blessing for me. So I got back into IT and cybersecurity. And really, I don't feel like I've worked a day since. So I just got in there and I was was doing IT work. And um, I noticed there was jobs that weren't being done. This is, you know, early 2000s. And I remember I was changing backup tapes and it was the same computer we were running our antivirus console. And I asked my boss, I said, well, who's monitoring the the antivirus console? And she said, nobody. I said, well, would you mind if I do it? And she's like, no, go ahead. So I started, you know, just volunteering for stuff, um, finding jobs that weren't being done um, and doing that. And then, you know, I rose through the ranks and I kept wanting to go to um, different things. And my my wife was not only very supportive of my career, she was support of me being mobile, so I went from a rural area up to Baltimore, um, big change of life, change of pace, if you will, and then, you know, back, back and forth to North Carolina, back to D.C., um, so I've so been around, um, and it's good. It's given me a good perspective on um, how a lot of agencies have similar problems, but each one has their own unique problem. So,
1: now, how long have you been with AnMed Health? Uh,
2: just about two years. I come up with my two years in January.
1: And, you know, you're in the healthcare segment, which that has its own stresses mm-hmm. in the world, it, it, you know, in your daily life as well. Um Let you know, just thanks for all your service and everything that you've done, you know, in your career path. And thanks for even walking up to me and, you know, volunteering to come on the show. I am in front of so many great people around the country, and we're just really lucky all the people that support us and support our events and take the time to spend some time educating, you know, our, uh, our, group that follows FutureCon. But um, let's just kind of really quick, you know, I got back from Charlotte and then it was Monday and, um, you know, I was just scrolling through my phone and I saw all that stuff going on, you know, at the MGM and it was crazy how how it all, you know, it was just some guy that called the help desk and within 10 minutes everything was down Mm -hmm. and um what are your insights on that and i I mean they paid the ransom and and i may not be fully educated on this but from my understanding caesar's palace was hacked first and then the mgm came so um was that was that just a easy was it it seems like it was an easy catch for uh these hackers
2: It is. And it's funny because when I was at your event up there, one of your speakers mentioned scattered spiders and you know, that's the group came responsibility for it. So they were kind of on top of it. Like, Hey, uh, we're really concerned about this group and they're doing some stuff out there. And sure enough, they were, you know, they were hacking Caesars and and VMGM and you know, it's just, it's amazing how good these guys are. Um, and if you've never had a chance to go to to, um, Black Hat and see the social engineering village, uh, and if you watch somebody do social engineering, um, It can be very simple you know i tell people i have three daughters and you know they get a text from somebody like you know becky might text them something say hey do you think josh is cute and i'm like you don't know that that's becky you know josh could have becky's phone or sarah could have becky's phone and she's got a crush on josh and she wants to know who competition is so social engineering is not very hard these days because people have a a tendency to want to believe what they see or hear um and if you've seen people do this over the phone, they can call it, pretend to be anybody they want. Um, if they have enough background stuff, and that's where the psychology kind of comes in. If you know that um, I have this thing that I call one truth, if I can provide you one truth, you're more likely to believe the next thing I tell you, um, even if the, the second thing isn't true. But I just have to establish a truth with you and get some sort of, you know, um, thing going with you confidence level going with you and then it's easy to get the information I want and it's, it's really cool to watch a good social engineer walk through a company um, you call this one number you maybe speak to security guard and you get these bits of information you call somebody else maybe over in HR you get these other bits of information you start forming the puzzle and then the next thing you know you've got your target you know and what some people don't realize is that this attack is not, didn't, didn't just happen last week. It's been going on for about four months or so. Um, the attackers did a lot of recon. They did a lot of preparatory work. They um, laid their foundation. And then when they were ready, they had all their troops lined up that they needed. If they were questioned, they initiated their attack and got in. I mean, it was almost the
1: perfect storm, you know, it was anything, uh, it's like an attacker's dream, you know, you're, you're affecting, you know, I, I don't know how many people are out in Vegas, but all those hotels and people not being able to get in their rooms and up and down elevators, you know, casino machines that went down where people were ready to cash out and they can't even get their money out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it just... And then, and then I don't know what happens now. I'm still been looking at it, but they did pay the ransom, but it doesn't look like the problems are fixed. So what's your thoughts about that? Yeah.
2: And, you know, people don't realize just how disruptive, you know, an event like this can be, you know, everything down to housekeeping, you know, if the housekeepers can't get in your room to clean them, they can't prepare for the next guest. If the next guest can't book it, you know, and if they don't get enough bookings, then pretty soon they don't have money to pay the housekeepers. They're like, Hey, we're not making money um and so it's one of those things that the hackers realize hey these people make billions of dollars a year i think mgm makes about 13 and caesars 11 billion a year um i know if i can disrupt them for a day they start you know can do the tally they can do the math you know hey five million dollars a day sure they'll pay me 30 million dollars so they're not down for a week or two um you know and then they negotiate from there so it's you know it's one of those things that people don't realize all the information that's been being gathered on us out there and um you know, some of this we do to ourselves because we put it out there for people. Um, so it, it, we're coming up on an interesting part of the social uh, media experience of what do we put out there, you know. Um, and sometimes even if we don't put it out there, other companies put it out there for us. Um, and, you know, like one of these was hacked by a, a third party. their outsourced IT. Um, it wasn't actually their IT. So, um, again, hackers are pretty smart. They know that, hey... This is what, um, this is a way I can get in. Um, And again, didn't raise any alarm bells. And, you know, it kind of goes back to some of the intelligence communities. If you have all these intelligence agencies and they're not talking to each other, you can have the greatest intelligence capability gathering on the planet. But if you're not putting the pieces together, it makes it very easy for these guys to move around uh, unseen and and get into places.
1: I was listening to something. It was just, uh, it was on YouTube this morning. It was on one of the, news outlets and they were, they were talking about our power grids, you know, and I think there's eight or nine main ones around the country and how outdated they are and how much money, you know, they're talking billions of dollars to, um, know really get us in a safe place and i was having a conversation with some friends the other day we were talking about you know the mgm and they're like well what next i go what next is our infrastructure you know you you better you better be prepared i always tell people you better have a lot of water and wood at your house because you know i i hope it never happens but what are your thoughts about our power grids and you know do, do you think it's realistically something that i can't imagine i have a lot of friends out in texas and they say texas is one of the major areas and i have a lot of you know friends that work for the municipalities that are our cso's out there our issos and you know what are their days like how, how are they how are they their days affected and are they locked down by What possibilities can they do if they don't have the money to fix the problems?
2: Yeah. And, you know, the more we interconnect everything, uh, you think about there's a big push now to go to electric vehicles. Okay. So if we do that, that's going to put a strain on the power grid. Um, And we need to, it's already, we know it's already outdated. So how do we deal with that? And then once we get, if we got everything, like we got rid of all combustion engines and everything was electric, well, then if you take the power grid out, guess what? You've just taken out everything. Same kind of thing goes with digital currency. I know there's some people that are thinking about, hey, you know, the U.S. government needs to go to a digital currency. Okay, but what if they did that and then they hacked the system and the system was down for four days? Could you go without, you know, food for four days or, you know, go to the store if, you know, if you had to buy gas for your car, you still had an old, you know, dinosaur car and you need to get around? Um, What kind of impact could that have? And so that's one of the things I think as we go forward, we need to be careful that, hey, We're not putting all of our eggs in one basket, because if we do, one, you know, break at the basket handle and we lose everything.
1: Well, and going, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but just for some of our viewers out there, our listeners on Voice America, because we do have a lot of people that just tune in that are not cybersecurity professionals, and they tune in to just learn, you know, what's going on. And one of the things I was listening on the Vegas attack is, you know, all those, All those people, you know, they got their... Well, first they said they got, you know, all their information and their social security. And I'm like, well, how would they get their social security if they were staying at a hotel? But it was the loyalty, like the rewards people. And so, you know, I think advice to our listeners, if you happen to be out there, you know, is, you know, lock down your credit right now. And you can do that. It's very simple to just Mm -hmm. go lock down your credit. I mean, what advice would you be? What advice would you give the people that were the collateral damage that were out there just on vacation.
2: You know, one of the things interesting things happened, um, one of my daughters had her wallet stolen. Um, and so my first advice to her was cancel your credit cards, contact the credit bureaus, uh, put a freeze on your credit. Um, and she did that, and they gave her a password to get in the system. And then when she went to use it, it didn't work. And she was on the phone with one and said, hey, it's, it's not working. Well, at the same time, whoever stole her identity had enough information in her wallet to a- answer some of the proofing questions so they were getting in trying to unfreeze her credit while she was still trying to freeze it so sometimes it's a very escalating race um and you kind of have to be aware of where your information is and making sure that you know that you're not putting it out i'm kind of glad i don't see as much as i used to but it used to be like every time you got on facebook or somebody like that they'd, they'd offer those quizzes like hey what kind of disney princess are you and You know, what's your favorite color and all that stuff. And they were all the security questions you would need to reset your account. Um, And the other thing I think we need to do as an industry is as we discover the scams, publish them, you know, go out and say, yes, um, you know, uh, there's this scam running. Beware of these kind of things. And You know, one of the things I tell uh, my people in my conferences is, you know, we do tabletops for work, but how many times do we do tabletops for our own family? You know, we talk about stranger danger um, but have you talked to your kid and said hey what would you do if someone comes up to you and said mommy's hurt and we need to go to the hospital or you know i've lost my dog can you come help me find it or even your parents say hey you know if you've got a phone call and they claim to be the irs or the fbi and they're going to arrest you and they say you got to pay twenty thousand dollars in cash would you call me before you go get the money out of the bank you know anytime you have that so I think one of the things we need to educate ourselves on is the scams that are going on and also have those tabletops with our um, parents and loved ones and, and, and friends. And I really think as more details come out about the attack, they should say, hey, here's how they got in. They called this thing. Uh, they called our help desk, and they knew these pieces of information. Um, so make sure you strengthen up your proofing around you know, your help desk and stuff like that so that we all get better.
1: And, you know, the credit card companies do not help us because I – just for nothing, no reason at all, just because I still have a teenager that has some of my credit cards on some of her subscriptions. So I locked all my credit cards. I didn't even know you could do that. But you know what? I locked them and I put them on lock and then I went to order a Uber and they were unlocked and the card still worked. So that's really frustrating. I mean, I guess your best thing is just don't have credit cards, <laughs> you know, no. but um, or just have one and not try to have multiple, so you can try because these subscriptions just kill you, you know, oh, yeah. like these little nickel and dime things. You know, it's almost impossible unless you call each one of them, and then there's five thousand hoops to get a five ninety nine, a five dollar charge mm-hmm. off, you know. So I don't think the credit cards are doing, you know, much to help, you know, the individuals, not, not the people like you, but the, the users, the everyday person, you know, stay safe on,
2: you know, and I totally agree with that. I I remember I had one of my professors at one of my colleges was telling me that someone stole his credit card and bought a plane ticket with it. And He's, you know, they said, okay, we're taking care of the charge. And he's like, well, are you going to go arrest him? I mean, you know where he's at. He's on his plane. He's going to be flying in at this time. You can say, hey, we're looking for passenger C-12 because that's who bought this ticket with a fraudulent card. And the credit card company was like, no, we're not going to go after him. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. And so situations like that kind of frustrate me because, like, you know right where the person is. It's, you know, they would have a hard time saying, well, how did you pay for this with the stolen credit card? you know um it, it just amazed me how much they don't um work to stop that more
1: so i have a pretty good network with CISOs all over the country just because of what we do and we're all over and every event you know we have tons of CISOs that attend they sit on our panels their keynotes and i have continued to notice you know, um, many of them stepping down from their CISO role because the stress is too much. Many of them that go off and do their own thing. Many of them that become a virtual CISO. So, you know, let's talk about some of the recent attacks and adding the stresses, you know, to the CISO. You know, what do you think, you know, they're, it, is it everybody thinks it's so ideal to be a CISO, but I'm not so certain anymore if it's that ideal to be a CISO. You do get wined and dined and everyone wants your attention, but you tell me, you know, like, what are some of your stresses of being
2: a CISO? Yeah, there's a famous CISO joke out there that we're only worried about two people, you know, everyone that works for the company and everyone that doesn't. So, one of the things that stress us out a lot of times is there there are a lot of attacks and you're going to constantly be attacked and if you're a person that doesn't like dealing with that you know it, it can be a tough position to be in um the other thing like one of the things i know is coming up is the old school cso's used to be really hard lined and they said no there's you know there's a there's a fine line there's there's an on and off there's not there's not a gray great you know area in between there's no dimmer switch it's either right or wrong? Well, the problem with that is if, you, if you're if you that rigid, you um, alienate people. And they're like, well, we have to get this done. So um, that can cause stress for the CISOs when they're in that environment. I try to be more innovative um, and also more uh, flexible because the business has to operate. So Maybe they come to me and say, hey, we've got this requirement for this. And I say, okay, well, I'll bend the rules for this with these kind of you know safeguards around it. Um, one of the things I always tell people too is make sure that you love what you're doing. I love what I'm doing. You know, like I said, I don't feel like I've worked the past you know 20 years. Um, but when I when I got into security, there were a whole bunch of people who said, Oh, the money's really great. I'm gonna jump in there, I'm gonna go be a CSA, I'm gonna go be, but they weren't prepared for the onslaught and how much you have to keep up like you know you know when you're going to all these different conferences you're like hey you can almost have a different flavor of the week for every conference you go to because the stuff just changes so this field is really great for people that love challenges that love fast moving technology Um, they love to stay on top of things Um, and if you're not you know if it's not made for for you maybe you you don't want to be a (laughs) c-cell so you know one of the
1: things As a CISO, you know, when you're trying to, you know, you have to have the obviously the people skills. And now, you know, that's why they have these uh, the BSOs, you know, to try to communicate with the rest of the organization. But is it really valuable to understand like your attackers? How is that beneficial for the people, your security team to understand the attackers out there?
2: well you know one of the things that you know i give presentations every now and then about the mind of the criminal and the mind of the hacker and when you see hardcore criminals and you just know that they just don't care about you they're they've got an objective they're gonna get it usually the, the kind of dividing line between a hacker and a criminal is criminals are usually violent they use violent means to get what they want um they'll strike fast They'll strike hard they go for the, the infinite you know, immediate submission hold and, and get you down so they have control Hackers sometimes sit back and they methodically plan out their attacks, and they go in, and there are some hackers that, you know, mostly script kiddies and stuff like that, they, they go in for the quick wins. Um, but the, the really sophisticated ones will sit back, they'll plan their attack, they'll lay back, they'll lay low, they'll try not to get detected, they'll do things, and they'll plan all this up, and then when they're all everything is in place, then they attack, and you're like, oh my gosh, we were attacked. Well, no, you were attacked four months ago, you just didn't catch it. Um, so that's one of the things that you have to understand that mindset. So. Sometimes, like one of the examples I use sometimes is um, we run Nessus, and Nessus is a good product, I'm not knocking them. Um, But you know, it ranks the vulnerabilities between criticals, highs, mediums, lows, and informationals. But just because something's an informational doesn't mean there's no data there. You know, one of the things I was looking at uh, if you have the number of listeners on a machine, you know, you look at one machine, has got 35 listeners, and the next one's got 65. You're like, why are there 30 more listeners on this machine? It's an informational um, alert, but not critical or high should i be worried you know and if you're not looking for the little things sometimes you can miss an attacker just laying there doing things um preparing for that attack
1: so from my understanding and again you know there's a lot of misinformation out there so um you never know what's real and what's wrong um they said that this attack at mgm you know came out of the uk but was controlled through russia so can you explain to our listeners like what that, you know, what, what that looks like and how that would have happened like in your mind? Because, you know, people don't really understand that these nation state, that these people that are over there, this is their daily job, you know, just like mm-hmm. you and I go to work every day. This is their job. Can you explain a little bit about what that would look like from a different country trying to attack something in the U.S.?
2: Yeah, and, and one of the things that one of the reasons they do that is one of the problems with prosecuting computer crimes is where did the crime occur? So if I'm a Russian hacker and I, I route my traffic through Turkey, then I run through you know a, a country in the or you know city in the Finlands, go through Canada, and then attack someone in the U.S. But well, where did the actual attack occur? So. With all that kind of stuff that that kind of muddles the water well which prosecutor arm is involved so that's one of the reasons they do it so they can hide behind multiple hops and hopefully by the time that you get the right people involved they're long gone you know and they're usually in a country that your country doesn't have an extradition treaty with um so again that goes back to the very sophisticated hackers. You know, A lot of these groups are very sophisticated, uh, and they know what to do, and they, they kind of plan. Okay, so w- what do I do if this server here gets compromised? OK, well, I can shut this down and cut these connections, and I can pack my stuff up, and I'll go to this other area, and I'll start up again. And while they're looking at my old area, I've already moved, and I'll route a different thing to a different country this time, so it'll take longer for them to catch me. So that's one of the things you have to understand the, the mind of your attacker is, a lot of these things are really, really well thought out, you know, organized um, and planned out. So you kind of have to take your approach to it as well. You have to plan your stuff out. You have to uh, make sure you're looking at, at everything that you can look at.
1: So what do you think happened to that uh, help desk
2: worker that accepted that call. Do we yeah. know? Well, I don't know yet. You know, and it's funny because one of the things that happens is I probably looked at seven to eight, ten different reports on this, and the attribution was different for different people. Someone said, "Oh, this group had attacked this," you know, MGM, and then others said, "No, this group attacked it," and then this one was like, "Oh, well, they got in here this way," and so the information was all over the board and wasn't just misinformation; it's more like misplaced information, you know. And that's one of the other problems because people often ask sometimes, "Well, why don't?" we just hack back I'm gonna I'm a hack the hacker it's like okay but attribution is very very hard to do and if you falsely attribute something like you know the decision scenario I gave earlier if we're routing this traffic through a server in Turkey and we say oh well it was Turkey's fault so we go attack them and the turkey's like hey well, what is this you know I didn't know that this one business in my town was compromised and you're gonna attack my whole country because you know you didn't attribute it to the right person so you really have to be careful in trying to find out, you know, where does this attack coming from?
1: I just lost my train of thought of what I was going to ask you something about that. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. I was going to go back to the ransom. So when they paid um, the $10 million, I think they paid it on Wednesday. Do you know what happened right when they paid it? Did they get much
2: back? What was the recovery and what, what do they still need? They're, they're kind of tight lipped about that right now um with with good reason too because if they said hey we paid ransom and we're back up and running then they go hit somebody down the street and they're like well you know what they, they got back up and running i'm gonna go pay it so i think there's a fine line between probably what law enforcement is telling them to release and what their lawyers are telling them to release and again they're still going through the fog of war they don't know everything has been taken yet they don't know where it's been placed they don't know if you know if there's some kind of agreement with the hackers like hey as long as you don't say nothing, we won't release it. But if you start running your mouth, then we're going to you know, release the information. So there's lots of things that are going on uh, behind the scenes that we probably don't see. Um, but again, you look at it, you know, one of the examples, I kind of have a similar example that, you know, I put a house for sale in the market, you know, and this is back when houses weren't just flying off the shelf. And I say, well, if I'm paying $1,000 a month, you know, for this house, for this mortgage, and it sits on the, the market six months, well, I've lost $6,000. So... Three months into that, if someone gives me an offer that's three thousand less than what I'm asking, it makes sense to take it. And I think a lot of these companies do the same thing: that hey, we're losing five million dollars a day. We've already been down one or two days. Um, if they wanting fifteen million, we'll get back up and running. That'll stop us from losing the, the five million a day. So they go ahead and pay it. Um, and sometimes it makes you know business sense to do that.
1: So do you? I every guess when we talk about ransomware, I always ask. Do you think it's right or wrong for them to pay? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? It's,
2: it's kind of like the answer to a lot of other stuff. It depends. It depends on your mm-hmm. situation because, you know, what you say for one person may not be right for another person. Um, one of the you know leading thoughts on this is if we'll keep paying the hackers, they're going to keep doing it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but then it's like, well, if you we don't pay them, the notice will keep destroying us and we won't have anything left to, you know, to do that. So it's a very fine line. And I think it's situation by situation.
1: So are you at all worried about um, the talk about the power grids and everything that Russia did to Ukraine, you know, with their power grids? Do you feel like, you know, we should be afraid?
2: Well, I think, you know, power grids are one of the critical infrastructures and any of the critical infrastructure can get hit. I mean, look at Colonial Pipeline when they got hit. Um, we lost gas in the southeast for a little while and prices started going up. And so hackers know this and they will... Um, Take advantage of that so yeah i think we need to you know i would love to see a lot more uh coordination between the federal state local governments along with private businesses not just you know right now i think we're siloed into hey well we've got this this federal government will take care of the federal guarantees but states you're on your own states are like well we're taking care of ourselves but you know everybody else you're on your own and local people are like hey well, what about us you know and one of the things i think that happens sometimes is you know you know, and using hospitals, for example, when the bigger hospitals, they have a lot of money to spend on cybersecurity tools and, and they strengthen themselves. When the attackers can't get in, they'll just go to the, the medium-sized hospitals. And if they can't get in there, they go there, just like regular criminals do, you know. They know that, hey, this one house on my, my block has got a lot of, you know, they, people drive Mercedes and they're very rich, but they've got security cameras, they've got dogs, they've got guards. This other house down the road, maybe they're not so rich, but they've got stuff I can st- steal, steal and sell and, they don't have, you know, uh, guards. They don't even have the lights are working half the time. So, criminals look at that kind of stuff, and, and you know, gaze their targets accordingly. So,
1: what, um, what is some of the, you know, one of the points I wanted to talk about is how psychology is used against your user, and how you can use it as well.
2: Yeah, and you know, one of the psychological tricks we see a lot of times, like. Um, We get, you know, the phishing emails like everybody else does, and they say, hey, you know, uh, your account's about to expire. Um, Click on this link or, you know, you need to change your password, but if you want to keep your password, just click the link below. And a lot of people are like, you know what, I really want that easy button, you know. I say Staples ruined it for us because it's the easy button. But um, (laughs) they want that easy button that they can click on, like, you know what, And, and, you know, I don't have to worry about this um so that's one of the tricks they use on us the other thing like i mentioned is one truth sometimes they'll they'll hide behind logos and someone says or even causes like oh the maui wildfires we need to support those and you watch as the criminals uh, and the hackers do this you know every time there's a new natural disaster or a new big thing they jump on it i remember a couple years back toyota had a big recall for their brakes well the six most popular site was a site infected with malware that hackers had set up and just boosted up social uh the um social media chain and um the sixth most popular one was a website about you know malware um but it was under the guise of tutorial break recall so hackers will jump on anything
1: so what was it some sort of malware or what was it because again everyone has speculation of what happened in vegas do you have any insight on how that happened
2: from what I understand is, you know, they once they got the credentials and they got in, um, they started gathering their information. I'm pretty sure they picked the next target, um, installed some back doors, and then they sent, you know, probably targeted links to certain users and said, hey, um, you need to update your computer. Can you click on this? And, you know, they're like, okay, you're our help desk, you know. Um, and they click on Like, okay, thank you. which probably installed some, you know, zero day or something on their machine that the machine didn't recognize as, as being bad. And so they were able to gather a lot more stuff. And that's some of the stuff that I'm hearing out there. Um, Once they got in, they encrypted some of the VSIs, um, you know, the hypervisors. uh, And so they, um, and once you control a hypervisor, you control multiple machines. So they probably had, you know, a list of targets like, hey, we get in, we're going for these things here. And they go and they look for it, you know. And um, So that's what the good, you know, the good hackers do.
1: Do you think that, you know, we are naive as a country to think it's not going to happen to us? I certainly know, you know, I've had some CISOs from, you know, um, California Water. You know, he keynoted at our event and I, I could probably name five other people from the infrastructures or more. But do you think we as a country are still naive and our government is naive that that our power grids could be taken down?
2: yeah I, I think we are re- really naive in this uh, i was at a conference uh and i was speaking with one of the fellow security folks there and they're like well we're a children's hospital so they're not going to attack us you know because they, they want to attack children No, you mm-hmm. you have millions of dollars coming in a day or whatever they're going to attack you you know you're one of the biggest children's hospital in the area if not the united states they're going to attack you they, they don't care so and I've been to other places too where they're like, well, we're a small obscure company. Nobody knows who we are. And I was like, you guys have billions of dollars in assets, even though you're not very popular. The right person finds you they they're like, oh, I'm going to hit this. So there is a lot of, you know, like the ostrich sticking their head in the sand. Oh, I'll just stick my head in the sand till the to the danger goes away. Um, and we're not even that. And that's why I like to go to these conferences. I like to attend them. I like to see what's going on out there. And again, I think our industry could do better to say, hey, this is what happened to this attack and start spreading it out and create your own networks and say, hey, um, we're seeing this. Are you seeing this You know, kind of a thing? And um, even rotate talent. You know, I think sometimes if we can get in there, they keep saying there's a cybersecurity shortage. Uh, but it's because, you know, when we get a really good person, we, we kind of hoard them and, and don't share them with anybody. Um, and how beneficial we say, hey, look, I got a really good sock analyst over here. Why don't you go to this hospital for two weeks and I'll take one of theirs and we'll, we'll show them how we work and you go show them, you know, learn how they work and we'll, we'll do this mutual sharing thing and uh, it'll help us both out.
1: Well, I wonder how practical that is because it's like you're trying to catch up with yesterday today, you know. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that was really great about being out in Charlotte, and I'm sure it was Rick had a lot to do with it, is most all of your major industries were represented at that event. And that is really good to see. And and that is always our goal when we go from city to city to make sure we're getting those major corporations in each city, you know, getting their security teams out. So it was really great to see because it wasn't just, and um, I'm going to go blank because I go from city to city. So I'm going to go blank on some of your, uh, corporations that were there, but there was a whole table full of them, you know, it wasn't just one or two. So it is nice to see the senior security teams attending. And even if the CISO cannot attend is letting his security teams go, because hopefully they understand, you know, how important the education is of the roles of their everyday job. And um, where do you think we are with the burnout are you seeing more and more burnout of CISOs, and are you seeing more and more of the rise of new CISOs?
2: I'm seeing a mix of both. Um, one of the things I said, I think a lot of the old school CISOs are, are aging out and uh, getting out of the profession. Um, there's a lot of young talent that wants to come in. Um, one of the things we do, like I, I've got two mentees right now. Uh, I volunteer to help you know, mentor a young people coming up that want to to get into cybersecurity, Uh, And I think we need to do more of that to help train the next generation to get in there because, you know, I've learned a lot in my 20 plus years and I'm sure others have too. um, And we share that, you know, we need to share that with each other and and help each other up so we can, you know, um, grow this profession um, and not have it coming is one of the, the most, you know, frustrating things for me. When I left IT, I took a 10 year break. Uh, and I, I kind of left, I a, a jokingly say i the top of the world. I knew a lot about IT. I had people coming to me, asking me questions, all kind of stuff. When I got back in, things had changed so much. It's like, oh, my gosh, I got to start all over again. You know, I, I used to have panic attacks, you know, because, like, how am I going to learn all this stuff that's going on? And, and you know, I, I jokingly say I was blessed with a, um, a coworker who was kind of a not a nice person. Um, and. Once I learned that he was just googling everything, I'm like, "You don't have to learn. You just have to, you know, know where to go to find stuff." And if he would have shared that with me, it would have made my transition a whole lot easier, as well as the other people in the office. So, you know, I think we definitely need to nurture the next generation coming up, so that we have people ready to go in there. Uh, the other thing I tell people too is, um, I've been places where I've seen some really bright, you know, uh, individuals, um, and they're not ready for a CISO role, uh, and Sometimes, you know, I'll take my lunch and say, hey, listen, you know, I, I kind of compare them to like Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory, you know, hey, you're very smart. But when you talk, people start zoning out because you're just talking technology. You have to learn how to be able to translate that into language that other people understand. And especially as you go up the ladder, you know, some people don't realize the information is a pyramid. And as you go up the ladder, your information has to get more and more concise and brief to be able to, to quickly brief the leaders above you.
1: So what is your fear with, when we talk about AI and open source and chat GPT and our next generation, you know, going up, going up the ladder, you know, what is your fear when they have those things now that could certainly make things a lot easier for them than the roles of the senior, you know, cybersecurity practitioners that read all had to read all those books and take all those
2: tests you know what it what are you concerned about some of the concerns i have around ai is number one who's controlling it you know because ai is built on a, a, a amount of information that's put in and if someone has the ability to take information out or put in there and regulate the information they can kind of control what goes on the other danger I see, like you mentioned, we had to read books. We had to, you know, I, I, I was a sponge. I gathered everything I could read and do that. My grandma even gave me old computer magazines that she had uh, just so I could, you know, gather all this information. And if we rely on the computers to do it all for us, well, okay, so now the computer can write a program in Go or it can write a program in Java or, or whatever language it, they want. If we don't have anybody that knows how to do that, what happens when the computer goes down? What happens when the AI engine breaks and like, oh, does anybody know how to program C++? Oh, no, you know. Uh, one of the things I saw in the federal government, which was kind of you know, frustrating, is you'd have one agency and they'd have a, a program written on COBOL, and they'd spend millions of dollars to have it rewritten to a new thing. And, you know, nowadays, you really can't find COBOL programmers a lot, so they'd have to hire a special company to come in and do that. And once they were done with the project, they would disband it. Well, then there's like six other agencies that have the same problem. But since none of them spoke up and none of them were sharing information, they're like, "Man, we really need to write this old COBOL program." I sure wish we had somebody around there, rather than someone taking the lead and say, "Hey, has anybody else got this?" Before you disband this, this team, and we'll go there and just they could, you know, fix six, seven different agencies at the same time, you know, at, at a rapid scale. So that's one of the things I worry is that we're going to lose that that learning and that that ability to know how to do things when we make the computers do it all for us.
1: Yeah, it's very sad. I mean, I just, as you were speaking, I was thinking about my son who's now 27, but when he was 16, his first car was old and, you know, he's very, a very bright kid. And um, the starter went out. He just got a book, read, read the book, changed the starter, you know, cars, you can't do that anymore. You know, I was in the military and I was, had old cars and I would go, you know, Guys that worked with me would help me, you know, change starters, change my batteries. You can't, you know, everything's so programmed mm-hmm. now that it's just not like that anymore. So we are, it's a shame because we're taking something away from that generation that they're not, you know, it's its never going to, they're never going to get the same thing that we grew mm-hmm. up with because of the computers. Yeah. And everything's so easy and accessible now.
2: Yeah, and one of the things that you know, my daughter just went this. Um, she uh, went to have battery change, at one of the local chains, and they hooked it up backwards, and it fried a lot of components. And so far, they're looking at about six thousand dollars for the damage, uh, just because, like you said, in the old days you hooked it up backwards, it blew one small fuse. Right. <laughs> now it took out the the alternator, the AC compressor. It took out um, all the fusible links and some fuses, and there was a lot that has to go. You know, and so. That's that's kind of an analogy of what's going on in our, in our system today. Once we make everything connected, a big enough hit can take it all out. And then where do you go?
1: Yeah. And, you know, they say that, you know, there's this huge shortage in our industry. And I do, you know, one thing running these events, we, um, we're kind of strict on our attendees. They have to be qualified because they are sponsored events and I can't have, you know, a bunch of consultants and students there. It's not the right format. You know, there's other, there's other, you know, local organizations in each community that are for those people. But we do have, you know, students that will come and volunteer. We let them come and volunteer and talk to, you know, we want them to meet our vendors and meet our attendees. But um, do you think it's going to become more and more challenging for those students to find jobs? I mean, I see it all over the country that it's not that easy for them to find a job, but yet we say we have a huge cyber shortage of employees.
2: Yeah, and I do think one of the things that I've seen, I recently just, you know, advertised for positions, and um, some of the salary requests I got from people that had zero cybersecurity experience was was kind of crazy, if you will. Um, Had one person, they were looking for $80,000 a year, and I'm like, You're not going to come entry level cybersecurity making 80,000 a year. I don't know, you know, who's been feeding you the wrong numbers, but I think sometimes we have the expectation that is very high. They hear cybersecurity and, oh, cybersecurity pays well. Yeah, it pays well if you've been in there for a while, you know, or you're very good at what you do um, and have a specialized skill set. So I I think that's one thing that's leading to the the shortage or you have people that, you know, they're already making, like when I got into it, back in the 90s, I got $50,000 a year. When I went to the computer field, I had to drop back down to 25,000. And a lot of people don't have the support network. Luckily, my spouse was very supportive. She just said, Go ahead, we'll manage we'll figure it out. Just go do the job that you love. You know, now I make a lot more than that. Um, but it took me a while. And it took Hustling and it took you know working hard and doing the job. Nobody else wanted to do Looking around for jobs that were being left undone and, and one of the things that I've taught my children and I've taught some of my mentees is Don't be afraid to work for free You know some people say well don't give the company more than what they're paying for you because you know They won't come to your funeral if you die and stuff like that, but you know I took on a lot of those jobs not for monetary reasons, but to pad my resume You know when I started doing the antivirus console. I can say now. Hey, I've monitored monitored and maintained an antivirus console. Well, if I would have said, well, if my boss paid me more, then I'll monitor it, you know, um, I could have left those skills on the table. So I encourage people to think about that, too. Look for what skills you can acquire and get paid in future dollars rather than today's dollars. You know, I used to joke with my daughter and say, hey, I'm hustling for tomorrow's money, not today's money
1: exactly (laughs) exactly Um, like my philosophy is we're we were only as good as you know tomorrow's event yesterday's event is past it could have been successful now we're on to the next one but you know it is again going back to that 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 individual that thought they were going to make eighty thousand dollars but that's what's advertised out there go to coding school you're gonna you know go to a coding boot camp you're going to come out making eighty thousand dollars an hour you know you Mm -hmm. see these commercials you see it on social media so you know there are these young people that think well i I, I, why should i go to college i mean that that's a big thing Mm -hmm. right now that people are talking about why should i go to college i can go to a quick trade school and make eighty to a hundred thousand dollars an hour well Companies can't afford that, and they're not going to take entry-level people for that amount when there's other people out there that, you know, you can hire that has way more experience. So what would your advice be to those, you know, obviously, while you're going to any kind of school, you should try to have an internship in the industry, and that is working for free you know i happen to pay my interns but not everyone pays their interns so what what um advice would you give those younger that younger generation
2: definitely look for things that like i said aren't being done you know there are tons of jobs that you could do look to reach outside don't pigeonhole yourself one of the hardest things i had when i got back into computers was i was i uh, took a job as a computer operator and for a while, I was labeled as a computer operator. And so I put in for IT positions, and they just had that mindset that, oh, it's just a computer operator. All he does is push buttons and you know, distribute reports. Um, so I had to actually put that line in my resume that even though my title is this, I do all these other things. So kind of like, just look at me. But if you don't volunteer for those activities, you don't have those just look at me kind of things. You know, um, I applied for a job one time, and I didn't have any enterprise experience running that application but I'd set up a home lab with 15 computers and a switch and a router and I had all this stuff. When I showed him a picture of my lab, the guy said, he changed his attitude. He said, I don't care that you haven't done this. If you can set that up, we want you, you know? So look for ways to in, in develop your, develop your learning. Um, even if you have to do it for free. I mean, I was going to thrift stores and buying computers and hooking them up and I would hack into them because they were my computer now and see what I could find out. And, um, very interesting things like that. So look for those kind of things. See if you can find a mentor. And again, hustle. You got to, you got to really want to work and and get in this field and and do that.
1: Yeah, that's a big, that's a big word for this younger generation is hustling. And just, I was a hustler all my Mm -hmm. life. So, um, you know, I have three kids and Two of them are hustlers, you yeah. know, <laughs> trying to mo- motivate the last one and she'll be okay eventually. But you yeah. know, it's just like the younger generation, you just mm-hmm. you have to do the job, you know, you have to do what's you know, and and I had an intern recently and he was so great, and um I I would be annoyed sometimes, you know, just because he was overly good and overly nice, which is horrible to say. And then he he left and got a real job, and I was like, oh my gosh, I miss him so bad because yeah. he did, you know, go. He did the extra mile, mm-hmm. you know, which meant him asking me a lot of questions. And when you're busy, some so so as a as a leader, we have to understand that we have to be more empathetic, and therefore we have to be the role models for them yeah. as well. Yes.
2: And you want to make sure that you position yourself to be ready when the opportunity presents itself. There were so many things that I did in my career that I didn't get paid for. And people were like, Scott, why are you doing that? You know, I said, because I'm preparing for the next opportunity. I'm not preparing for this opportunity. When that opportunity comes along, I want to be ready. You know, and since I had padded my resume with all those skills that I wouldn't have done if I just sat there and waited for my boss to tell me what to do, I was ready. And then people were mad at me They're like how'd you get that job you know uh do you know that person did you do that no i hustled what you didn't see you didn't see all the hustling i did to be ready for this when it came across my plate and so that's one of the things i try to tell people do all you can to gain experience and learn because you want to be ready and one of the things i, I tell my people is you want to be a CISO? go download a CISO job application see what skills are requiring see what they're asking for and start working on those skills and acquiring those skills Look at the job you want five to 10 years from now, download this application, see what they're looking for, and go out and try to get that experience.
1: Yeah, that's really great advice. And networking, you know, join your local chapters, you know, join, you know, whatever, if it's ISSA or OWASP or ISACA or CSA, there's so many in every market. So you can network with the other peers in your community and come to like events like mine. You know, we still run in a hybrid and we're almost about to wrap up, but we run it in a hybrid mode and we still get a couple hundred people every single event that watch it virtually. A lot of it is because they're introver- introverted people that it's easier for them to get their CPEs and stuff by watching it virtually. I try to encourage them all the time, come out because you need those people skills. It's great, we can offer it virtual, but you gotta leave your nest. <laughs> you gotta leave your hole. And then, you know, we're down to about almost two minutes. Is there any, you know, what is some of the last... Um, comments and you know that you can give our listeners about what they can do to keep their environment safe and how they can continue to move forward
2: well definitely you want to look for you know like i said jobs aren't being done and being with 10 different federal agencies i saw a lot of times a lot of times security stuff wasn't being done you know and and i always try to tell people understand why it wasn't done one agency i was at they didn't have enterprise on the servers i'm like well I could just come out and say, Well, that, that sounds stupid. Why don't you have antivirus on your server? So I didn't do that. I said, Why don't you have antivirus on your servers? And they're like, Well, it slows them down. I'm like, Okay, have you benchmarked that? Have you tested that? They're like, Well, no, we just think that it slows them down. I'm like, okay, so you think it slows it down. Well, if we get hacked, I can't go in front of the board and say, Well, we didn't have antivirus on our servers, and they'll be like, Why not? Yeah, that was dumb, you know. Um you know, but if I can say, well, we benchmarked it and it slowed it down. I had this in protection. We had each you know, segmentation in place. We had this other stuff in place and they still got through. That sounds a lot better than uh, we think it's going to slow it down. So understand why things have been made in your environment and learn them and then deal with them in an appropriate way.
1: So, um, I'm sure people can find you on LinkedIn at Scott Dickinson. And, Scott, it was so great meeting you in Charlotte. Thank you for coming up and approaching me about being on the show. Love that. Love to have you back. We'll have to have you as um, one of our speakers next year when we come back to Charlotte. Thank you, uh, Scott Dickinson, CISO at Ann Med Health. Thank you, Scott, for spending the last hour with us. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of And Security for All. We will be back next Friday. I hope you guys have an amazing weekend. Stay safe and secure. And we'll see you soon.
0: Thank you for tuning into to And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget... You can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakim, that's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training, discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureCon HQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers, making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakim CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts. Unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen, where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.